eating, drinking, having fun in Napa Valley. That's what this whole Judd's Napa Valley show is all about. Thanks so much for joining in. This is very exciting for me. This episode you're about to hear is our first episode, so you'll have to forgive me if I come off as a little bit nervous or distracted. I really, I don't have a problem speaking with people, but when I have to speak with people and run a soundboard and think about timing out uh, um, commercials, since we did this in in the uh, live radio station of KVON, it got a little distracting. But I was also very stoked to have the guest that we had, Alan Kropp, who is one of the most accomplished young men you could ever hope to encounter. What he has done in the world of wine and beverage in his so far short life is just astonishing. And I think you're really going to find his take on life and the world of beverage uh, intriguing. So have a listen. In the meantime, I'll invite you to enjoy some of our Judd's Hill wines and the fine folks over there at the winery. I'm a little biased, I guess, as to who is fine. Um, are making it a little easier for you by offering a bit of a deal. You can get 10% off either of our 2009 Pinot Noirs. We have our estate Pinot Noir, Millican Creek, from the vineyard that surrounds our winery at the south end of Napa Valley, or we have our Central Coast Pinot Noir. Both you can get 10% off by typing in J-N-V-S Allen. That's Judd's Napa Valley Show, J-N-V-S-A-L-A-N. When checking out at judshill.com, you can get that deal on any order of Pinot Noir. I hope you'll enjoy it. Of course, if you're a Judd's Hill Wine Club member, you'll get a better deal than that. And if you're not, you should be. You can join online or you can give us a call at the winery, 707-255-2332. Join the club and join us for plenty more fun. Now let's get to the show. Yeah, so the moral of the story, I guess, is I'm just not going to order the clam basket any there. Anywhere. Anyway. Um, hey. Oh, we're on. Hey. This is Judd Finkelstein. It is a beautiful Tuesday morning. I've got a fantastic guest lined up today. His name is Alan Croft. He's sitting here right now with me. And, and I'm not going to give him the big introduction right now. Uh, we're going to save that till we give the official, official start of Judd's Napa Valley show. But right now, I just want to mention um, how cool this is for me to be back here at KVON, KVYN. It's been 24 years years since I had a regular spot here at the radio station. I was a junior. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I don't think you were even born yet, Alan. You're, <laughs> you're a young fella, but we'll get into the amazing things you've done in your short life so far. Um, but it, it, yeah, I was a junior senior at St. Helena High School. I took an interest in broadcasting, came down here, and I think I cleaned out um, waste baskets for one week. And just after that, I was offered a position playing the Sunday morning top 10 countdown with Casey Kasem, which came on records, actual vinyl records. And I had to be here ready to go on there at 6 a.m. It was a Sunday morning thing. I came uh, that first week. I did it. I think I think I did a pretty good job. Didn't, you know, skip the records didn't skip and uh, I didn't break anything. So the following week, I got a note that whoever was doing Sunday nights had split would I like the job? You know, after one week of not even on-air experience, I never had to say anything. I just played a record. And then all of a sudden, they give me the six to nine on Sunday night spot. I said, but I've never spoken on the air. I don't know how to really do radio. And I'm still not sure I do. But I came in. I was so excited. They said, don't worry. The DJ who goes on ahead of you will give you the whole tutorial, not not to worry. So I, I show up. I'm so excited. I drive my old Toyota Corolla hatchback I was driving back then. 
um, just listening to tunes the whole way, going me, 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 and singing along and doing all the voice exercises to warm up. I show up, and um, I remember the guy's name. I probably won't, I, I won't mention him by name in case he's still in the area and listening, but he, he says, hey, good to see you. You're on in about 20 minutes. Here's how you turn the microphone on. This is a CD player. I think you already know how to use the um, record player. I've got a date. Uh, uh, good luck. And he split. <laughs> Man, all those voice warm-ups that I did, <laughs> nothing. I froze up. I don't think I spoke more than four words that first shift. <laughs> I was scared beyond measure. But I got through it. I didn't want to come back the next week because I was so scared. But I, I persevered. I knew that I loved this medium of radio. I kept at it. Finally started to get a little rapport with the audience. Folks could call up, and we'd, we'd talk about what they wanted to hear. I was taking requests, and then I became the persona of your bud Judd. <laughs> Every Sunday night from 6 to 9 on The Vine, KVYN. So that was my, that was my high school experience here uh, broadcasting. Oh, and folks would come in and have a look. Not often. I was usually at the building to myself on Sunday nights, but once in a while— Folks would come in, they'd look at me, you know, this teenage kid with braces doing his homework at the console, like, you're Judd? You know, I thought you were like 40, because I had this voice, even, even then. And that, that, was, that was fun for me to be able to fool people, really prove the uh, theater of the mind aspect of radio, where folks can conjure their own images. And that really always appealed to me about radio. So today we are back. Well, I'm back. You've probably been here all along, beautiful listening audience, but I'm glad to be welcomed back. I'll be doing the Tuesday morning shift here at KVON every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m., and it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. Let's start the show, and I'm going to give my guest a proper introduction. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people. On Judd's Napa Valley Show No stale script and no rehearsing Live from a Napa studio You may be that intriguing person On Judd's Napa Valley Show On Judd's Napa Valley Show Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley Judd's Napa Valley Show The fantastic Mr. Gordon Lustig Performing the Judd's Napa Valley Show theme <laughs> song Thank you, Gordon So my guest here, Alan Croft You are the founder, the president, the visionary behind Mutineer Magazine. You uh, describe the magazine as redefining beverage. No, fine. Say it yourself. Fine beverage redefined. Fine beverage redefined. Yes. And tell me about that. I, I am very excited about Mutineer Magazine. As you know, I love to drink. <laughs> I hate being drunk. I will say that. I, I do know when to say when. But wine, cocktails... An occasional beer here and there. And this is what your magazine is all about. And, well, go ahead. Tell me all about Mutineer Magazine and what led you there. Well, first off, I got to say, I knew you were witty and charismatic, but the honey golden radio pipes, no idea. It was amazing. Why, thank you, Alan. <laughs> uh, Mutineer, wine, beer, spirits, coffee, tea, soda, water, milk, juice, Anything you can drink, really, we'll write about it. And we consider anything that resonates with a person on a beverage level to be a fine beverage. So we want to be the soundtrack to uh, the, the modern person's drinking experience. And we don't do reviews. We don't do ratings. We just write about what we're excited about. We make sure we have pretty pictures and cool stories. And we have fun with it. Well, it's obvious when you read the pages that there's an enthusiasm for 
for well anything to drink, as you just ma- mentioned. Um, you know, I pay particular attention to the cocktails and wine and, and the beer. Um, but what what led you down the path? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you're you're a young guy. Like I don't even know if you're thirty yet. Um, I would I would imagine that you have had a life in the world of the beverage industry. Did you start out young? What what first you, turned you on to drinking things? Uh, well, I went to bartending school to pay the bills. I wanted to be a musician, and I went to L.A. I followed a girl down there and uh, ended up in bartending school and uh, got a job, got lucky at a very good restaurant, slinging drinks, and in the process of making cocktails, I, f- I served quite a bit of wine as well, and that was my real introduction to wine. I wanted to take it further, so I got involved with the Quartermaster Sommeliers, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, did a ton of education, and then got very fortunate at an early age to take over the Beverly Hills Hotel wine program, which includes the legendary Polo Lounge. So that's where my career really kind of took off, and and I got solidified going down this path uh, two fine beverages. I got involved with the Cicerone on the beer side, um, did some coffee studies as well. Uh, did the Beverly Hills Hotel thing as a psalm for a while, hooked up with Gordon Ramsay, opened up his restaurant in West Hollywood. And at that point, we just, everybody around us was saying they wanted something like like a mutineer. And what we discovered is I could create a connection around beverages one table at a time. So we wanted to figure out a way to scale that connection and a magazine being a collection of voices, being a collection of mediums, words, uh, pictures, images, stories, um, it was the right medium for us. So that's what we went with, and it's been working out well so far. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, that's quite a – you've got a solid pedigree there at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and Gordon Ramsay's certainly familiar to a lot of folks. And and with what am I trying to say here? You, you came from this great background. You obviously know your stuff. You – quick learner, it seems, because again, I'm saying you're a young guy, and yet you have all this experience, and you're obviously an expert. But where did you decide to make the leap? How did that happen from just being a sommelier, a bartender, a wine consultant, to actually getting into publishing? Well, one of the cool things about this industry is it's an industry where you kind of fall into it. Um, So many people fall into this industry by accident, and um, I don't like to mess with simplicity. And the more I got to know wine and the more I got to know beverage, the more I found I loved it a lot, whether it's travel, interesting people, amazing meals, um, the history of it, the stories behind it, the agricultural aspects of it. There's just so many layers to it. And it's one of those things that doesn't get boring. So I think I got obsessed with what beverage is and and what it can be versus what it is for a lot of people that don't ever establish that connection. So um, publishing, you know, blogs came out. Uh, They're starting to gain a lot of traction when we started the magazine. Uh, It's hard to build a business around a blog even today. You can do it. But for us, um, a magazine just made sense as a, a platform we could build a business model around and, and create something bigger than us that could, you know, really get some legs under it and do some cool stuff. Had you been blogging before you launched the magazine? We blogged for about seven months, yeah. And it's great, you know, getting to that 10,000-hour mark of mastering <laughs> a skill. A blog's a good way to do it. Um, so it, give, it gave us a lot of good practice. And we still do the blog, and it, it's, it's something that we do um, just to stay in contact with our audience and give ourselves a different dimension and, and be actively digital. Well, that's, that's certainly the way – I was going to say the way of the future, but it's the way of now right now is totally. that, that back and forth that the blogging allows. You, you're using the pronoun we. Who else was involved there at the beginning? Uh, we had two co-founders, uh, Brian Croft, who is my younger brother and our current editor-in-chief, and also Jeff Dorenbush, who um, 
is our CEO now. So we're all still involved with the company, and, and uh, we got a team of about six people looking to double by the end of the year and continuing to grow with great enthusiasm. Ah, you're ready to conquer. Yes. So picking up Mutineer Magazine, we know we're talking about beverages. What excites you? What excites you to write about these days since you've been blogging and writing for the magazine for years now? What still gets you going? What do you, when you get, do you assign yourself assignments or is your brother now that he's the editor-in-chief does he tell you what to write about what inspires you to do that i assign myself stuff all the time and it's getting vetoed more and more because it tends to um, take up too much time to write those articles but i love it and i love finding those little nooks and crannies where the beverage culture intersects with human emotion and so often beverages particularly wine they get put in this box we try and understand them we try and quantify them and it's never going to happen but to find these these rare moments where, where humans and beverages collide in an amazing way and, and finding the emotional stories in there, that's what, what really gets me going. Um, you have like, one you can give me? Oh, man. Um, that's intriguing. I know we all have reactions to food, wine, beverage, and that's why there is a culture surrounding you know foodies and cork dorks and whatnot. Um, is that connection? I like the fact that you're spreading it. Was there something that touched you or that you wrote about that really... I mean, if there is one that just sticks out to me more than anything, we did a story on Windows in the World, and we did a story with Kevin Zarelli talking to him. Windows in the World at the top of the which, World Trade Center in New York Trade City. World Trade Center, which was part of the tragedy. And, and that story is very well known, but, you know, Windows in the World is arguably the most influential wine restaurant in United States history. And, you know, it has its own place within that story. And, you know, the entire staff was there. And just for, for wine to have a place in that story, and that story, I mean, it's been told in Kevin's book, Windows on the World, but to have the opportunity to team up with Kevin and tell that story, you know, in our own way to our audience, it was, it was very humbling. And, and it was an honor to, to be able to share that story, which a lot of people didn't know. Well, it's, 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 it is wonderful to be able to share that. And if somebody wanted to read that, is there a back issue they should look at? Is it archived online? Yeah, I believe it's the July issue from 2012, but you can find all that online and you can order those, those copies. And that would be Mutineer Magazine? MutineerMagazine.com. Dot com. <clears throat> you got to pardon me for that. <clears throat> I think all the spring, the spring weather we're having is... Uh, Allowing some things to bloom, so pardon me for that. <clears throat> well, I want to ask you, you, you didn't start out here in Napa Valley, though. Where, where did the magazine start? We started in Los Angeles, so I was working those accounts down in L.A. with uh, Gordon Ramsay and whatnot. So we started in L.A., and then we got this crazy idea that we wanted to understand the culture a little bit more before we launched. So we bought a 70s RV and drove up and down the coast a couple of times, just shaking hands and drinking some good wine and beer and everything else, and just really getting to know the people behind the culture. So we did that for a while, very nomadic. Who were you seeing? Who, who would you stop in to see? Everybody, I would just go up and down. I'd always run out of money. I'd run out of money in the Bay Area, so this was kind of a dark place for me. Okay. Like I'd either start in Seattle or LA my trips, and then buy about the Bay Area is where I'd always peter out, and then I'd take like a break for two weeks and then hit the road again. So this was kind of like the Bermuda Triangle of <laughs> mutineer escapades. Well, you didn't get lost in the triangle. So what would you do during that time to get re-energized to continue the trip? I would. Or should um, I not ask? I would find a cheap campground where I could stay there on credit until money came back in and we would be back on the road. 
But again, who are you, who are you, who are you stopping into? Were you seeing sommeliers, bartenders? W- wineries were you stopping mostly. in wineries. wineries, and then hanging. There's nothing better than hanging out with a winer, uh, a winemaker in his local town, going out to the bars, the local places. Like that's how you get to know them. You know, it's not in the tasting rooms as much as connecting with these people behind the scenes, getting to know them as artists, as people, and just getting to know the local culture and, and what the challenges and opportunities are commercially for them, culturally for them, and understanding what they're trying to communicate, both as a region and as an individual winery. So I would say it was mostly wineries and winemakers, but definitely brewers along the way. Spent a lot of time in Walla Walla, a lot of time in Southern Oregon, Willamette, Santa Barbara, um, and of course Napa. Of course, I mean these are all places known for wine and, yes. and beer. And yeah, as you said, you were making these connections between the beverages and the humans behind them. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you started. You started not in Napa Valley, mm-hmm. Los but, Angeles, but, but you are here now. I am here now. So, so what brought you here? Well, we we. After the RV, we realized we could do that, but make it a little bit less complicated. And what we were doing is we would get a house. We'd rent a house for six to 12 months. And we would move to a place just to get to the lo- know the local culture even more. We spent about eight months in Calaveras County, which is two and a half hours east of Napa in the Sierra Foothills. Amazing wine region doing higher altitude stuff. A lot of cool Rhone varietals. And uh, Napa was, we were always on a collision course with Napa. So it was only a matter of time before we got here. And uh, here we are, and it's an easy place to stay. Uh, we like it very, very much. Okay, well, that was my next question. Do you think you'll stick around? You know, you've been a little nomadic. Um, understandably so, now that I know the, the backstory. But do you think you'll hang in Napa for a while? I think we might. I mean, what's not to like? you got amazing weather. The city's right there. The ocean's right there. Tahoe's right there. The wine is amazing. The food is amazing. The farm-to-table culture is amazing. And you have probably one of the most compelling cross-sections of interesting people on the entire planet Earth, all congregating right here in Napa to share this experience together well there's there's no denying that i think you're absolutely right about um folks being here either they live here or they come here so you have access to really all the movers and shakers in the in the the food and wine and beverage industry so that's good call on your part have you been um have you been around the world checking out what's going on outside of napa i find myself living a little bit in a napa valley bubble people want to stop and talk to me, you know, because I'm in the wine business, I make wine, have been for pretty much my whole life, almost here in Napa Valley, and uh, folks want to stop and talk to me about oh, uh, Italian wine or French wine, and I don't know that much. I mean, I've had some, I can talk on a very basic level, but I've found that I really, having grown up here and work here and making wine here, I live in a little Napa Valley bubble. Um, I don't. I hope that doesn't sound, you know, prejudiced in any way or xenophobic, it's just I don't know. It's just my life. Um, so what about you? Have you gotten out and explored the world of, of beverage? I have. I've had some pretty cool opportunities with the magazine. So I got to see a lot of Australia and France and Spain and, and of course, the United States and Canada and Mexico and uh, Asia and uh, Singapore, which is a part of Asia. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's Nepal. And but a great food culture. Yes, very much so. Nepal. Nepal. What's going on there in the world of fine beverage? Fine beverage there is a clean glass of water that doesn't wreck your day. So we did a water relief project. And um, this is important to you, isn't it? It's very important to us, yes. Well, like I said, we're trying to find different ways to experience beverage beyond the 100-point system and, and uh, you know, expensive wines. So for these people, um, you know, getting clean water 
is a uh, is a challenging task. So we teamed up with a uh, water relief organization and raised funds um, with the beverage industry led by Jordan Vineyard and Winery in Sonoma. And we got five water filtration systems to go into schools, uh, little kids' schools, elementary schools, I believe they're called, in uh, Kathmandu. Cool experience. Wow. Is this something that's ongoing? I know you no. do have a... We did it for about two years. It was a lot of work. We did a lot of editorial with them, um, telling their story and whatnot. So we did it for a while. But that it all kind of culminated into this installation project. And um, it was amazing. It, it's it's wonderful that you did that, and it does make a lot of sense being in the business that you're being with fine beverage. Where does it all come from? Water. 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 That's the basics of everything, and we all need access to clean water. Definitely, it's good for you for doing that. You are you're actually a very philanthropic fellow in that respect, and I want to talk in the next half of the show about your your new project. But before we get to that, uh, I do want to get a little bit more back to your travels, because I said I live in the Napa Valley bubble. <laughs> I travel a bit, but I want to I get some of the experience that you've had, live vicariously. You mentioned uh, you were in Mexico. Did you visit the wine regions down there, or was that more of a, a spirits uh, trip? What, what happened down there? Tequila. Oh, yeah. All about tequila. All about tequila. And what happened? Do, can, do I get any stories? I think all stories about tequila end the same. Um, <laughs> a mix of euphoria and regret and uh, putting the pieces back together. <laughs> no, it was amazing. I mean, seeing the, uh, the agave and, and seeing how that rolls and the whole scene and how they produce it and the different production methods, you know, how they crush the agave, um, ripeness levels, you know, how they cook the agave. Um, it's, a, it's a very much, you know, agricultural process, much like wine, and, and it's cool to see in person. Yeah, and it can be a very refined product, too. And I, I don't think I realized that personally until several years after college, you know, when I had sworn off tequila because of that mix of uh, euphoria and regret. Um, <laughs> where I found it, oh, there's actually some really nice, delicious, complex uh, tequilas with some subtle layers that you can just sip on and not, you know, have the results that I'd been used to in my dorm days. Ultra premium tequila in the United States has only existed since 1983. Before that, it was it was the mixed dough, it was the fake stuff. But real 100% agave tequila, it's only two or three decades old. So yeah, it's relatively new, and I think some folks are even now just just discovering it. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't explore any of the wine industry down no, south I of wish the border. I, I wish I would have. That was eye opening to me a few years ago, um, being down in Ensenada, actually getting a tour of the the uh, Fender Guitar Factory, which yes. was awesome, uh, being a musician myself. Uh, and our host treated us to lunch at a very nice restaurant and made a wine recommendation that came from the local um, Guadalupe Valley there. Do you know the, what it was? Well, I don't remember the name of the winery, but it was a Reserve Merlot. Yes. And I'll, I'll be honest, I did not have high hopes. You know, I really didn't know anything. Again, living in the Napa Valley bubble, didn't know much about uh, the wine industry down there. Now I'm a little more educated, but it knocked my socks off. It was a fantastic drink. It, it um, kind of like the tequila I was talking about. It had some very nice layers. It had complexity. It had depth. It was a well-balanced wine. I think, wow, this is, this is, this is great. This is eye-opening. And that um, led me to have a whole new respect for the Mexican wine industry, which <laughs> I think I remember in the, was it The Ladies' Man? Do you remember that movie uh -huh. based on the Saturday Night Live yeah. uh, sketch? And he shows up at the door. He's like, I brought you a box of my favorite Mexican wine. You know, got a great laugh. And now, now I wouldn't laugh at that. I'm like, great, bring it on. I, I actually really like Mexican wine, I've discovered. 
And well, it's Cavatier. Cavatier. That's right. That's what he would. That's what he would drink. Um, we are going to take a little break. We'll be back with Alan Croft of Mutineer Magazine fame. He's got plenty more to tell us. And thanks for joining Judd's Napa Valley Show. We're back with Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Judd Finkelstein of Judd's Hill Winery here in Napa. I'm joined by Mr. Alan Kropp, the founder, president, force behind Mutineer Magazine, which your tagline is? Fine beverage, redefine. He writes, promotes, and um, just champions the cause of all types of beverages. And speaking of championing the cause, we're talking about a little bit of your uh, philanthropy with the clean water program that you're involved in. But now you are trying to hook up college kids with jobs through a new program called uh, Drink Careers 101. So give us a little scoop about that. So pumped about this one. This yeah. is amazing because uh, Drink Careers 101 right now, uh, college graduates, one out of two college graduates is either unemployed or underemployed. And underemployed means they're working in a job that does not require a four-year degree. Now, 1971% of taxi drivers had bachelor's degrees. Today, it's 15%. My goodness. Yeah. So college kids are really struggling when when they get out of school to um, get a good job. Now, um, if you're 18 and you're getting ready to drop six figures on a college education, odds are you're not quite sure what you want to be do you really have an idea of the career opportunities available in the wine industry, and are you in a position to academically prepare yourself for those opportunities? And the, the answer is no. So Yeah, um, most often the case, you know, an 18-year-old going to college is just going to college because that's what you do. That's what you do. And you haven't had your first legal drink yet, and you don't have to be 21 to enroll in the Enology program at Davis. You just can't taste wine. How about that? So, so... Uh, we were talking earlier, this is an industry that so many people fall into. I think the old model for becoming a winemaker was to go to college, get a degree in philosophy, have that not work, go back to college and become <laughs> a winemaker, and then go get a job. Right. So there's an easier way to do it. Um, at the same time, the beverage industry is roaring. You know, It's growing um, by volume, it's growing by dollars, and it's growing in non-traditional areas. So places in the Midwest where we, we didn't used to see um, commercial wine regions, that is changing quite rapidly. And then you have craft beer and craft spirits and everything else happening as well. And we're also seeing the, the industry diversify. So less than 10% of head winemakers in California are women. Um, so we want to get out there and empower young women to consider um, pursuing these jobs that have traditionally uh, leaned more towards being uh, held by men. And also with minorities, you know, African-Americans. There's an alarmingly low number of African-American winemakers in the United States. So to get out there and empower um, those people to consider these amazing career options, which, you know, don't it, it doesn't just include winemaker, but we're talking uh, sales and, and entrepreneurship and, and management and, and science and agriculture and all these different disciplines and skill sets. They all can funnel into the beverage industry one way or the other. So you're talking about wine, but will this program also focus on other beverages? Wine, beer, spirits, coffee, tea, and soda. And how are you going about empowering these folks and, and bringing the students and the industry together? 
Well, we're doing a couple of things. We're creating a printed guide. It's going to be about 200 pages, and it's going to go through all these different careers, all the educational options attached to it. And then I'm going to be going to community centers and college campuses around the country and talking to people and, and letting them know that these opportunities exist. And right now we're in phase one of our project. We're funding this through an online uh, platform called Kickstarter. Uh, the URL for that is www.drinkcareers101.com. Anyone can hop on and pre-order the book, like 25 bucks. Stop right there. Say that again. And is it 101 with the numbers, 101? 101. So the URL is www.drinkcareers101.com. And if you can't remember that, just Google it. It'll get you there. And it's um, an online crowdsourcing platform. We didn't want to go through a singular brand, uh, a wine brand or a beverage brand on this, because we wanted this to be something the industry could embrace and everybody could come together. This is an idea much bigger than us and a great opportunity to add a new context to the beverage and wine conversation. Oh, it's very exciting. This is just launched, is that right? It, it just launched like two and a half weeks ago. And what are what's the feedback? Are there any results so far? It's been great. I mean, everybody loves it. It's one of those things that's a win-win for everybody. I think the industry, the wine industry, is excited to have the opportunity to pay their own success forward. And I found that there's a lot of people out there doing this kind of mentorship um, at a, a smaller level. So to be able to scale that... Um, and also learn from those people's experiences. Um, this is just something that has resonated extremely strongly with our audience and the industry as a whole. Oh, very cool. Congratulations on that. I mean, Thank you. Getting folks jobs is is a priority, I think. It's so, good. Well done. And fun, interesting, exciting jobs at that. You get to travel. You get to make money. You get to do amazing dinners. You get to be a part of something. It's it's the best industry in the world. Yeah, it's quite a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Although I think I'm in it not for the money. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know if you've uh, seen the old beater I drive out there, but I'm certainly more in it for the lifestyle than the money. But yes. kids, if you're listening, go out and get a job in the beverage industry. You'll have fun, if nothing else. Yes. Well, you'll earn a little money, you Don't too. mess with simplicity. <laughs> That's right. Um, so this is the Napa Valley Show, Judd's Napa Valley yes. Show. We're here in Napa Valley talking, and you are an, an expert, an aficionado, a connoisseur of well, pretty much life in general, but focusing today on the beverages. Who's here in Napa Valley that's exciting you with either wine, cocktails, brewing, coffee roasting? Let's have some names. Let's give some plugs. Okay. Who do you like? Okay. What's happening? On the wine side? Where will we find you when we come visit Napa Valley? I think the wine is the high elevation stuff that has my attention right now. Yeah? I love, like, the Mount Veeder stuff, the Howell Mountain stuff. Um, LaCoya is something I've been drinking a lot of lately. I'm a big fan of Chris Carpenter's stuff. And he's a um, cool guy, too. Very cool guy. Um, I mean, uh, I really like the Dunn stuff, the Diamond Creek stuff. Um on the more Tuesday night selection. Is it well before we go to there? Is it the intensity from the hillside fruit or what? It's what? the character. I feel like those wines show their character a bit earlier. Um, I like wines with a little bit of funk, and I like them <laughs> having a, a bit more character. So I find the higher elevation stuff it really comes through and, and is a bit more colorful, a bit more earlier on. Okay. Rather than having to wait um, quite as long. Sauvignon Blancs are making me happy lately. Yeah, a lot cool. of options for those. Saint Super is probably my go-to. Yeah, for the uh, Tuesday night. Yeah. Very, very, very good wine. And rosés. Rosés are cool. Oh, yeah. Rosés are kind of like the winemaker's wine I found because you can't really mess with the model for Cab too much. Like, there's kind of a typicity that people look for in Napa Cab, but rosé, like, all bets are off. You can, do whatever the, you, know, you can do whatever you want. And you see a lot of stylistic variation with, with the rosés coming out right now. That's right. That's a good one for uh, tasting room hospitality staff to be able to hand sell in mm -hmm. tasting rooms. 
because certainly there are tons of wine savvy people who come in and don't have uh, necessarily the expectation that a rosé is white Zinfandel, mm-hmm. but they but they need to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get over Judd's Hill um, quite a few folks who are, are new to wine and they see a rosé and we do make rosé, and instantly they think white Zin is going to be sweet. It's going to be you know really fruity and we have a lot of fun being able to give them an education. You know, our, our, our wine education staff there uh, does a great job of saying, you know, rosé can be that way, and that's a nice way to enjoy it for some. And it, it, as you said, it can, it can emulate many, many different styles. And that's fun. Ours is a bit dry, a little off dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, still shows the fruit. But it is fun to be able to play with. We put together, I don't know how many different blends before we uh, decide on what we're going to put out there. But it's, it's one of the most fun styles to play with rosé. It's the craft beer of wine. It's awesome. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so go on. So we wine, anybody mixing up drinks that you're uh, particularly enamored of? I was just at uh, Fagiani's last night, Thomas, for Industry Night. Had some Negronis, $5 Negronis. That is their signature drink over there. Everybody wins, yes. So the Negroni gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. Yes. Very pretty, too. Like, they serve them in these etched kind of crystal glasses, and rocks glasses are just beautiful aesthetically to see all these red, vibrant drinks around the, the restaurant. Um, let's see. Uh, Goose and Gander, clearly a winner, elevating the cocktail scene here in the Valley. How so? Just the expertise that they have, you know, the level of experience. You know, Scott Beatty in there. Um, Michael Jack Pasden is a very, I don't know if I'd call him underrated, but he's definitely under the radar, I think, up and coming. He won our um, holiday cocktail competition, which you uh, so awesomely judged. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm quite aware of him. That night, he knocked my socks off, basically. He made a very complex drink. King's Way's Hail. That's it. King's Way's Hail. And yes. um, while he put this together, he told a very intriguing, interesting, fun, historical story about the cocktail which I can barely, you know, chew gum and walk at the same time. Right now, doing this show, you know, I have to watch the clock and run different programs and talk to you. And that's proving very difficult to me. Um, and he did this all with aplomb. It was amazing. And the drink was delicious. So he's at Goose and Gander. Yeah. So for them to have both those guys under one roof is kind of a coup. And, like, it, it, it's, it, it, it's resonating with what they're doing inside the restaurant. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the bar at Bartisono. Yeah. Which our editor in chief, Brian Croft. Uh, you can find him there Monday nights. Not to give your brother too much of a plug, but where will we find brother? Monday nights? Monday nights at Bartisono Hotel. Is he doing just straight across their in place cocktail program, or does he have a little creativity to do a little Brian Croft magic? There's a little creativity there. I mean, he's definitely uh, embracing the program and their cocktail list, but um, he does some fun stuff in there. Not that there's well. anything wrong with their cocktail list. I, I love going there. I'm, I'm frequently at that bar. Yes. Um, but, it's you know, somebody place. like Brian, who's immersed <laughs> in the culture, mm-hmm. and it's his job to write about it, explore it, yeah. investigate it, is he able to oh, yeah. show a little fun. bit of his creativity? He they is. have fun. Oh, okay. Sure. So we can find you there Monday nights sometimes. Monday nights for sure. Awesome. Um, anything else? Beer, coffee? There's several coffee roasters around here. Yeah. Give your picks for Napa Valley. My picks... For Napa Valley. You know, for coffee, have you been to Yoel Ray? Up in uh, Calistoga? Calistoga. Very yeah. cool. They roast their own coffee. They got art on the walls. You know, always doing something new. That's a very cool place for coffee. Obviously, Ritual in mm-hmm. the Oxbow is always a win. Um, beer's a little bit tougher. Um, 
They got good beer at the Oxbow, actually. Like, you're, you're buying it to go, you know, but they got some good beers at the Cheese, the, um, I guess that'd be the wine merchant in, in yeah, Oxbow. Yeah, the Oxbow wine merchant. You can find some good stuff in there, you know? Um, I'm always on the lookout for the best burgers, too. Oh, okay. Well, let's shift over there. And I don't, I'm surprised I don't hear more t- people talking, but I, I, I'm convinced you have the most awesome burgers per capita in Napa Valley than anywhere else. Okay, so that is a constant topic of conversation among folks around here. And I know a couple that lives uh, not far from this studio, and they do an annual survey where they try to get as many of their friends no as possible way. over the course of a week, a month, something like that, to go out, give their ratings, give their review, compile it, and uh, come up with the best burger in That's the valley. That's cool. So that being said, and since you brought it up, where do you like to bite into a juicy burger here in the valley? All right. Well, Gots goes without saying. A lot of burgers going on there. Mm-hmm. Kitchen Door has a delicious burger. That is a fine hamburger. It's a very good hamburger. That's their Kobe beef burger with the uh, grilled onions. Grilled and, onions. They got yeah. the secret sauce on there. They got the old style French fries. It's just yeah. Kitchen Door does everything you're looking for. Fagi- uh, Fagiani's does the burger with the bacon jam, Ooh. and then you get your fries in the tin on the side, which is very cool. Um, Angel does a burger, amazing burger. It's a little bit of that thicker, meatier style of burger. Mm-hmm. Very good. Red up in Yountville, sure. amazing burger. Again, that kind of thicker, um, meatier style of burger. But they switched it up for the short rib sandwich, I think. So there's been some contention there. It could be back, though. Oh, let's start a movement. You know, that's one of my favorite places to just go sit at the bar, mm-hmm. have Jason Withrow, oh, their yeah. phenomenal Stud. mixologist there, yeah. and have a little bite, whether it's their... Sweet uh, Korean-style uh, chicken wings or the burger. Yes. How about Big D? Old school, Silverado Trail, Big D Burger. Where's that? What? Oh, man, you are a newbie to Napa. Is that the place by JV? I'm taking you down here. It is. It is. I've seen by the that old JV. place, but no one's ever told me about yeah, it. Yeah, you got to so. stop in. That's a Napa classic. Okay. That's a nice burger. Okay. Do you go nuts for donuts? Should I? Yes, you should. I feel like this is another inside joke. Though. I know. I'm, I'm asking you. Do you, Donuts. Don- I need, right now, a number between one and seven. Between one and seven. As an American, I love donuts. So give me a number between one and seven. Is seven the best? No, you can't have seven. Between one and seven. Between one so and seven. So like one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm going five and a third. Five, well, let's have a look. Yes. Hold on. What? Yes, I've just pulled out what? the pink box, which I have fiendishly what? put a system of numbers on. You said five? Yes. All right, let's have a look. What did you get? Well, actually, someone ate most of that one. All right, pick another number. Oh, okay. I'm going to choose wisely now. I'm going to go with one because that one. was my first choice. All right, so maple you, bar, maple bar, maple bar. you avoided the cinnamon cone, yes. the luscious pink sprinkle, the jelly-filled. And I don't know. You didn't see this beforehand. I had this hidden away, but indeed, sir, maple bar. Yes. Take this, please. She called good karma. Take that maple bar. Yes. Have a big bite. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Is this from buttercream? This is from buttercream, which, by the way, I've been doing... Go ahead and have a bite. I'll tell you about my experience with donuts. I love donuts. I, I'm not a huge dessert person. Like, it's not something I crave. But if you put donuts in front of me, that's it. You know, game over. I'll eat the box. And we travel here and there. When, whatever town we go into, I find out what's the famous donuts. Near and far, I still come back to buttercream as my favorite. You've had now a moment to... Oh, by the way, buttercream, for those of you who don't know, but you should if you're in Napa, the classic old-time. I'm not sure when it opened, but it's probably got to be at least 70-ish years in that neighborhood, late 60, some 70-ish years, the pink and white striped building. you got to go in there, have breakfast, the old-school luncheonette. 
Uh, the donuts are the best. You've now had a bite of that maple bar from classic Napa Bakery buttercream. We're sitting in Napa Valley. Somebody hands you a donut, a maple bar specifically. What are you going to drink with it? He's chewing still. With that coffee, I mean, like, it's the greatest pairing ever. Like, donut, uh, donut and coffee? Like- okay, so Napa, Napa Valley, which coffee are you going for? Mm-hmm. You just mentioned a few. There's different roasts, different blends. I don't know much about coffee, so school me. I would go with a ritual mocha, which yeah. everyone makes fun of me for, but, like, a chocolate bitter mocha with a delicious, fresh maple bar. It's happy. It's so happy. Like, I'm so happy right now that I have this donut. <laughs> you, shall, shall I play some music? Do you want to just enjoy that for a while? We'll come back to you. <laughs> it's really good. But I got to tell you that the buttercream has ruined so many Sundays for me in the best way possible. What? Oh, okay. Because you go in there and you get that chicken fried steak, and then you oh, wake yeah. up and it's dark outside, and you don't remember like the last eight hours. <laughs> like, you went home and you started a movie, and then you wake up and it's dark, and it's, 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 it's a different, it's a, out-of-body experience to have the chicken fried steak there. Oh, man. In the does, best way possible. Does that come smothered in gravy? It comes smothered in sausage gravy yeah. with the hash browns, oh, and you man. get the Tabasco sauce, and you get a donut at the end. <laughs> that is the best. Yeah. Talk about euphoria and then regret. Yeah. That is the tequila of bakeries. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gotten me many a time. All right, so... Thank you for that. I'm glad that you're enjoying that. I'm glad I could bring a little pleasure to your day. Well, thank you for that recommendation. Um, and you mentioned a little earlier that you were hoping to be a musician. Are you getting a gig anywhere? Uh, Are you playing anything? Do no, you still I'm not playing anything? Nothing. It's at terrible. All? What was your thing? What What did you do? I like synths. I like like old synthesizers, making sounds, playing with effects, um, yeah. producing. You know, I'm not great at anything, but I'm kind of good at everything or okay at everything. So I can play everything enough to kind of put my own stuff together. But I got to get a studio going down here. We used to have one up in in Seattle, and nothing down here. So did you record? Did you compose? Yeah, and put... we recorded. We recorded an album, a couple EPs. Well, give a plug for that. Let's hear it. Is uh, that available anywhere? Yeah, you can hear it on Spotify for free. It's called Mono in VCF. M O N O I N V C F. I'm writing that one down. Mono. Yes, mono in VCF. And what does that mean? Am I out of the loop? Is that it's, like some um, hipster inside was, yeah, initials? Yeah, it was way too complicated. Mono kind of represented the 60s sound, the okay. Phil Spector sound, and VCF kind of represented synths. So it's kind of this new wavy meets mono, minimal, 60s, kind of colliding in the best way possible with a health, healthy dose of like John Barry, James Bond score. Yeah, yeah, sure. And all that kind of stuff. Oh, if I had only known that about you, I would have asked you to bring something down. We could have uh, played a little bit of some mono and VCF. So what would you, you said James Bondy, so it's of that kind of 60s era synth sound? cinematic pop, I would say. If you were going to have a party playing your music, what would you ask people to wear? Um, Like, what would the vibe be? The vibe would be, um, I don't know. I, uh, probably like one of your parties. You get you get people to dress up awesome at your party, and you have the best music at your parties. The garage rock bands with the combo organs and everything. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Yeah, I do try. Yeah, people dress up for that stuff, and they do a good job. Well, you know, once in a while you gotta gotta go for it. Yeah. yeah. So I like I, I am one of the folks that likes getting dressed up for an occasion. Yeah. You know, if we're going out for a fancy dinner, I will put on a coat and tie. If I'm going to hear a band that kind of evokes a certain era, I'm going to dress like that era. I think it makes going out special, kind of separates it from the rest mm-hmm. of your day-to-day life. If you can get dressed up 
it's it's like there's an occasion. But you got to be a planner because I'll be going to a party like yours, and it's like three hours before, and I'm on eBay looking for like, oh yeah. And stuff. <laughs> so I love the idea of it, but being a poor planner, it usually bites me. Right, right. And uh, well, Napa, there are some good spots. You can you can hit some of the vintage or thrift uh, stores that are around here and find some gems. But if you're a planner, certainly you want to. Um, yeah. To get on eBay, and so again, if we were listening to a party where mono in VCF is being played, what's the vibe? Is it that early '60s James Bondy? Do we get Go Go? Where are we going? Are we going mod? I think it'd be more like a Fellini film. It would oh. be um, very cinematic, and uh, the, the men in in swank suits and the ladies in short dresses and. The drinks flowing, and well, that's all you have to say, man. My next party is mono and VCF. Yes, there Let's you go. hook it up. Yes. All right, it's now time in the show. Yes. Where I ask you what you've learned from your English teacher in school. We're going to play a little Mad Lib. Yeah? Yeah, so right now I need a number. Any number that you can possibly imagine. Any number. Just a number? Any number. Just say a number. 67. 67. Now I need an occupation. Any type of occupation. Radio host. That's kind of close to home, but we'll use it. Yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, A year. Any year in history that ever existed. Um, or will exist. Let's go. Let's go. Has existed. 1992, and Crystal Pepsi was out. When what? Crystal Pepsi was out. Oh, Crystal Pepsi. Remember that stuff? Yeah, yeah, man. It was amazing. I do. I don't. I didn't understand it, but I, I, I remember it. Clear Pepsi. Yeah, it was clear. A noun. Person, place, or thing. If you remember your Schoolhouse Rock. Yes, hence the English teacher. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with car. Car. Yes. Okay, you know, maybe not so much pizzazz on that one, but okay. <laughs> a geographic location, anywhere that you could possibly imagine being. Um, the moon. The moon. All right, we just have a few more, so let's zip through these. Another noun. Uh, rabbit. Rabbit, a plural noun. Um, frogs. All right. And a couple more. Another plural noun. Um... Records. Records. Judd's like, you're ruining this. Yeah, this isn't funny at all. No, I think it'll come together. And one more geographic location. Um, let's go with Napa. Napa? It's too close to home. Let's get out there. Okay, let's go. With... I'm refing this <laughs> tournament. Let's, let's go somewhere else. Uh, New Orleans. That'll make too much sense. All right. Okay. New Orleans, here we go. Yes. I'm now going to read to you your very own bio, which I copied this morning off of the MutineerMagazine.com website. Did I get that right? Yes. MutineerMagazine.com. Yes. With your devilishly handsome photo right next to it. Yes. said, Alan Kropp, <clears throat> president of Mutineer. So here we go. This is your own bio in Mad Lib form. Alan Kropp became president of Mutineer following 67 years as radio host-in-chief of Mutineer, and has won numerous beverage and publishing industry awards. Prior to founding Mutineer in 1992, Alan worked as a sommelier at some of the world's most prestigious properties, including the Beverly Hills Car and Gordon Ramsay's signature restaurant at the Moon. (laughs) Very good. That's amazing. Alan is certified through the Court of Master Sommeliers, uh, the Rabbit and Frogs Education Trust, and is constantly traveling to speak... To records. Okay. <laughs> Judge competitions and raise awareness about water relief in New Orleans. Congratulations, sir. You have many accomplishments. <laughs> yes. I didn't realize it till now. <clears throat> yeah. How about that? Uh, 
we are starting to get towards the end of our show. I want to give you the opportunity, if there's anything we didn't hit here, if there's anything you want to uh, leave us with, um, some excitement that you might be experiencing at some aspect of the beverage industry, drink careers, whatever it might be, lay it on us right now, good sir. Laying it on you right now, if I could say one thing, it's that if anybody out there in the wine industry, if you're a wine drinker, a wine consumer, beer, spirits, cocktails, soda, water, anything, if you have any interest in any of this at all and you found anything that I said and Judd and I talked about interesting, reach out and, and email me, uh, alan at mutineermagazine.com. We love connecting with people and just hearing your guys' ideas and, and hearing what inspires you about this wonderful world of beverages. Man, that is a great way to sign off. So drop Alan a line, alan at mutineermagazine.com. Alan Crop, thanks so much for coming in. And Anytime. Dis- discussing the great world of fine beverages redefined that Mutineer Magazine is involved in. And, uh, yeah, I'll catch you around Napa. I'm here for the maple bars. Thanks, gang. Judd's <laughs> Napa Valley Show. As times change, so do our bodies. We don't process medications like we used to. And this can cause problems, especially if we're taking several medications or mixing them with alcohol. If you have questions about your medications, talk to your doctor or pharmacist or call 1-800-662-HELP for the free brochure, As You Age, a guide to aging medicines and alcohol. That's 1-800-662-HELP. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and this station. It's Sharks Hockey this afternoon as the San Jose Sharks are getting down at St. Louis. 4.30 is airtime for the broadcast. San Jose Sharks action right here on KVON at 4.30 from St. Louis. 14.40.